0: We're on a mission from God. Wendy. So I got that going. Darling. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human. I thought they smelled bad. On the
1: outside.
2: Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen, and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
3: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells.
2: And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Airplane on July 2nd, 1980. It was written and directed by Jim Abrams, David Zucker, and Jerry Zucker, with uncredited screenplay work from Hall Bartlett, John C. Champion, and Arthur Haley from Haley's teleplay Flight Into Danger and released by Paramount Pictures. And just as a disclaimer, if there's any uh, difference in the audio quality for this episode, it's because we are practicing social distancing to give you an idea of how far ahead we were recording this episode. Hopefully the coronavirus is not a thing anymore in July, but who knows? Maybe it still is. In 1971, Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker founded a theater company called Kentucky Fried Theater, and they would often record late-night television to pull out commercials to inspire their comedy routines, and one night they accidentally recorded the 1957 feature Zero Hour. As they were scanning through it to look for commercials, they found that the film was a perfectly classically structured film, and set about writing the comedy version of the same story. It was their first screenplay, originally titled The Late Show, and they completed it in 1975. Worried about how much of the dialogue and plot they had blatantly reused, they actually paid Warner Brothers $2,500 for the rights to the film.
3: That's it? $2,500?
2: Yeah. It was a super cheapo, like, made-for-TV movie. It's 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 only an hour long. I just watched it.
3: Why would they call it The Late Show?
2: Because that was what you would call, like, the movie that played late at night on cable. They'd be like, oh, and our late show tonight is... Oh, okay. And the original structure of the film included a series of fake commercial breaks with parodies of commercials but as they polished the draft the commercials got shorter and shorter and they eventually removed them entirely although little bits and pieces of them still remain like the woman talking about how her husband doesn't get a second cup of coffee was a parody of a coffee commercial
3: (laughs) i really like that joke in the movie i think i would have liked the commercial version
2: yeah no studio was interested in the script but zaz as they're sometimes known zucker abrams and Zucker. they knew john landis and he encouraged them to instead start with a film based on their sketch work the result of that was a 1977 film called kentucky fried movie for which they had surrendered the director chair to landis they considered it a learning experience and decided that to get the movie they wanted on film they would need to direct it themselves so So when they
3: that means they weren't very happy with
1: kentucky fried movie i'm guessing
2: i think it just didn't end up what they wanted it to be exactly
1: John Landis's sense of humor is very different from from the Zuckers. Yes, I agree. I mean, obviously we watched Blues Brothers already this year, but if you look at like Animal House and or even Clue, it's a very, it's not so slapsticky. I, th- I would feel that the Blues Brothers is the closest parallel to this. Yeah. But most of other Landis movies are pretty straightforward with their comedy.
2: That's true. When they actually started making Airplane, they intentionally cast actors like robert stack leslie nielsen and peter graves who until this point hadn't been comedic actors because they wanted the satire to be more poignant and for everyone to be a straight man basically and the the weirdness was just the situation nielsen in particular was ecstatic about this offer because he thought his career was basically ending and he had no idea that all of his best work was ahead of him like everything i know him from is 1980 and beyond
3: (laughs) i didn't realize that he had any work that wasn't comedy work
2: yeah.
1: yeah he was in the original poseidon adventure as uh, the captain then you also like look at uh like what was a forbidden planet
2: yeah and it's like him and george kennedy played the same kind of roles all the time which is why them being paired up in the uh, police squad and naked gun movies is so great the studio apparently wanted dom Delouise for the doctor but zaz said no thank you uh because that would have been straightforward comedy which is not what they were going for that would have been just terrible if we lost fatso because of this movie <laughs> according to his autobiography christopher lee was also offered the part and passed on it which i guess he later regretted i but, could
3: totally see chris really in that role yeah though.
2: i think he would have been fine because he didn't really do comedy stuff at that point either the role of ted yeah. striker here was originally written for david letterman who actually did a screen test but it's pretty awful i found it on youtube you're
0: taking all the blame for what happened on that raid was a pretty courageous thing to do
2: was it because of my mistake six men didn't come back from that raid
0: seven lieutenants have died this
2: <laughs> they ultimately went with the relatively unknown robert hayes the letterman did have a chance to lead the late show 13 years later for cbs bill murray chevy chase robert wool fred willard caitlin jenner and even barry manilow were all considered for the striker role at various points in the production Sigourney Weaver had auditioned for the role of Elaine Dickinson, so we might have had Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver pre Ghostbusters in this film. But I I don't think it works with Bill Murray. I actually think the closest there, maybe Chevy Chase. It would have been a different movie because he would have been aware that it was a comedy, but it would work better than Bill Murray. Bill Murray would just be straight a joke.
1: And I really like Julie Haggerty in this film. She's such oh, a yeah. space cadet.
2: Yeah, she's she's perfect. There, There's no recasting her for this. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was cast as a reference to the co-pilot in Zero Hour because that character was played by Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch, a pro football player. And the part was originally written for Pete Rose, but he was not available because this was shot during the baseball season. And so Kareem stepped in to play the part. And I think it works better with Kareem because he's even more recognizable... And he's also, like, seven feet tall. So it's just, like, that much more ridiculous that he would go into commercial airliner business when he's clearly built for basketball.
1: That's an interesting point. I wonder if um, there's a height restriction for airline pilots.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
1: Didn't your mom say that there was for flight attendants?
3: Like you. Had
2: I don't know if there was a height thing, but they used to weigh flight attendants, like, every few months.
3: Oh, I'm pretty sure there was a height thing. that There was a minimum and a maximum height.
1: Thing. That's possible. Like, you never really see, like, a really huge pilot like yeah like an andre the giant or Gwendolyn christie
2: (laughs) i would love for andre the giant to come out of the cockpit at some point after auditioning several voices for the white zone slash red zone announcements and not getting the sound they wanted they decided to reach out to lax to find the man and woman who actually recorded the announcements for the airport and insanely the actual voice actors were not only available to record the parts but were a real life married couple which plays perfectly (laughs) into the joke of the film
3: that's so great
2: (laughs) apparently zaz intended to shoot the film on a smaller prop plane in black and white but michael eisner who was the head of paramount at the time demanded a larger plane and color as conditions for distributing the film
3: i think that's fair though i think that uh, as much as they want this to be like a parody film uh, i think some of it is kind of lost if you don't modernize it a little bit more
2: yeah i agree i think i think it works better in color
1: and because the dialogue is so almost one to one, it gives it this kind of like weirdly out of time uh, kind of feeling.
2: Yeah, it's just extra disorienting. The film covered its entire production budget of three point five million dollars in its first two days of box office, and eventually went on to make one hundred and fifty eight million worldwide. It was followed by a sequel in nineteen eighty two, but Zaz were not involved and claimed never to have seen it. Robert Hayes kind of reprises the role of ted striker because he played an airline pilot in 2014's sharknado 2 the second one but the character has a different name but it's clearly a reference to ted striker we open in the clouds at night with a jaws parody as the tail of the plane is seen crisscrossing through frame chopping up a cloud layer and then suddenly the plane flies up out of the fog past camera and we get titles over what should have been second unit footage of lax but because they were first-time filmmakers, ZAZ didn't know that they would have to direct every shot themselves. So all the footage of, like, planes landing on the runway and cars pulling in and out of airport terminals was all actually directed by Zucker Abrams and Zucker. (laughs) We see some crew for the flight moving through the airport as the PA announces the white zone is for loading and unloading passengers only, and there is no stopping in the red zone the male and female voices of the announcement eventually start arguing when the male voice gets the zones mixed up and this bit finishes with
0: listen buddy don't start up with your white zone shit again
2: at the tsa counter a man is instructed to fill a bowl with all metal objects and he starts removing all his fake limbs back outside the psa voices are now arguing about male voice wanting female voice to get an abortion which is uh crazy dark part, just outside this airport here an arriving passenger flags down a cab and ted striker hops out of it at the curb assuring the man he'll be right back but not before setting the meter running while he's gone
3: i love this joke
2: the, the guy's still there the
3: guy the running gag throughout the film like i was i don't think i've seen this film for 20 years i think i saw it once when i was a teenager and then never again and i'm sure that a lot of the jokes were lost on me at that time yeah or i just didn't care or didn't find them funny but i found this joke really funny
2: we get a three-way writer director credit for zaz which was apparently quite a fight with the dga because at the time director credit had never been split more than two ways and it was pretty much policy that they weren't going to allow that i'm not even sure that it's happened since then but somehow they were able to lock in a three-way director credit for this film an employee on the tarmac is guiding a plane in when his coworker asks where the forklift is and he gestures off to his right, accidentally sending the plane he was guiding crashing through a window into a terminal. These two guys are played by Jerry and David Zucker. And since the film's release, they have been stopped repeatedly by airline pilots saying that they have very nearly put planes through those windows. One said that he even came so close as to touching the pane of the glass with the nose of the plane ted Stryker catches up with flight attendant elaine as she's headed toward her flight she left him a note breaking up with him but he found it in time to catch up with her on the flight she says that she can't love a man that she can't respect and Stryker looks directly into the camera and says what a pisser which is the only real fourth wall breaking that we get everything else is like there's meta jokes within the film but nobody else looks directly into the camera to talk to us next we see captain over move past the fiction and non-fiction magazine categories to a stand labeled whacking material and he opens up the latest issue of modern sperm to peruse he gets a page to the white phone but he answers the red phone which then refers him back to the white phone and the pa continues to page him until he just yells at it i've got it and then the voice throughout the airport says thank you Uh, the call is from dr brody at the mayo clinic and then we cut to the interior of Brody's office and we see his desk is just overflowing with jars of mayonnaise and there's a human heart beating on his desk. In a tight shot, the heart is bouncing up and down in front of him as he talks and he tells Over that one of the passengers is awaiting a heart transplant that he has it there on his desk and she basically needs to get to the Mayo Clinic within six hours. So he needs to get this flight over and on schedule and it's it's an emergency if he doesn't. Stryker and Elaine argue a bit more about their relationship on the way to her plane. She connected him with some sort of job offer at Boeing, but he didn't take it up because he thinks that his war record would keep him from getting the job. But she tells him that that's all in his head and he's the only one who cares about his war record. It's just a mental block. The pilots start the pre flight checklist as a mechanic climbs onto the hood of the plane outside of the cockpit and he sprays down the windshield and then he pops the hood of the plane to check the oil. But when he tries to buckle the hood closed again, he falls off the plane and we hear him drop probably 15 feet to the tarmac. (laughs) Stryker buys a ticket on Elaine's flight so that he can continue arguing with her. The flight attendant at the desk asks if he would like smoking or non-smoking, and he asks for smoking before she hands him an actual smoking ticket with just a billow of smoke coming out of it. We cut back outside to see Stryker's cab passenger waiting patiently as the meter is still running striker stops outside the plane and we're crossfading over his concerned face with war footage of just an aerial dogfight not a real one an aerial one there's exploding planes and we hear robert stack's voice repeatedly saying the decision is yours the decision is yours on the plane Stryker takes a seat in the non-smoking section so he bought a smoking ticket but for the non-smoking section the older woman sitting next to him asks if he's nervous and when he says yes she says first time and he says no i've been nervous lots of times outside the plane a pair of lovebirds say their goodbyes as an old-timey stationmaster tells them that he'd better board the plane that they're running out of time and he goes all aboard the boyfriend bill ascends the stairs to the plane and just stands there waving at his girlfriend as she's trying to keep up and uh, she's racing through crowds of people in old-fashioned clothes occasionally crashing into the structures alongside the plane trying to keep up with it as it reaches flight speed Roger, Clarence, over, and Victor, the three pilots in the cockpit, confuse each other with standard radio communication terms, Roger and over, as well as aviation terms, clearance and vector. Roger,
0: huh? Request vector over. What? Flight two zero nine are clear for vector three two four. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? our radio clearance over. That's Clarence over. Over. Roger, huh? Roger, over. But hey,
2: who? Elaine finally notices Ted on board, and rejects him to get back to her work. Ted tells the passenger next to him about when they first met. He was stationed in drambui which is a liqueur, like I suspected. <laughs> when is we were it watching it, really? I was like, that's not a place uh, off the Barbary Coast. Ted stands at a bar in his Navy uniform, which I thought he was an Air Force pilot but he's wearing a navy uniform we hear a horn playing as a pair of female legs walk past him on the bar and we tilt up slowly to reveal that the woman is actually playing the trumpet which is a joke we saw earlier this year in mad max uh, though less intentionally funny there a fight breaks out between two girl scouts when one of them tries to cheat at cards and ends with her head driven through a jukebox
3: i found this joke went on far too long yeah they keep bringing it back throughout this entire scene and it was kind of unnecessary yeah
2: but when her head goes into the jukebox it kicks off a high-speed version of staying alive and then we get a big dance number with uh robert hayes and julie haggerty just being crazy on the dance floor elaine notices him from across the room and she's starting to dance with a guy who is immediately stabbed in the back but she thinks that his efforts to remove the knife for some new kind of dance And so she's trying to emulate him for a while before Stryker cuts in.
3: She actually does look like she's doing the Elaine here a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) as she's like using her thumbs to gesture behind her.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Elaine and Stryker dance insanely for a while. And then we cut back to the present where the woman sitting next to Stryker has hung herself of boredom. We cut to a young boy in a three-piece suit carrying a tray with two coffees. And he hits on a similarly adultish girl that is his own age. She invites him to sit with her, and he offers cream for her coffee, to which she replies,
3: No, thank you. I take it black, Like my man.
2: <laughs> the kid's face is perfect after that. He's just like, I don't know how to respond to this. I guess I'm leaving now. I'm not sure how seating on planes worked in 1980, but when Stryker first sits down, he's on the right side of the plane. And then with the older woman sitting next to him, he has a window seat on the right side. And now... Elaine notices him, and he's in an aisle seat on the left side, talking the ear off of a man in the window seat.
3: But to be fair, we see him in, like, six, seven different seats in this entire plane. Yeah, it keeps happening,
2: but so far he has not been in the same seat twice in a row. Elaine has a vision of a parody of the beach kissing scene from From Here to Eternity, featuring her and Ted. But this is the more realistic version of it, so they're getting wrapped in seaweed and surrounded by live fish gasping for air on the beach. There's, like, a catfish just, like, squirming around next to them. It's pretty gross.
1: I I had to go back and try to see, like... Because I saw that there were real fish, and yeah. I was like, I think that one was a catfish.
2: And they're definitely alive, too. <laughs> so they, they had them in tanks, and they put them right here for the shot. She starts to plan their life together, but Ted's orders just came through. And he tells her, basically, his entire mission. He says, oh, you know, we're going to bomb the storage depots at Daiquiri, which is another drink, at 1800 hours... Uh, we're coming in from the north below their radar, and she says, when will you be back? And he said, I can't tell you that's classified. <laughs> so he can tell all the details, but he can't tell her that, which I remember the first time I saw this, I thought that that meant that she was a spy and that he didn't screw up the mission, but that she like undermined the whole thing, but then that, ne- that never comes back. Elaine brings a child named Joey to the cockpit for a tour. He sits with the pilot over who asks, you ever been inside a cockpit before? and when joey says no over says you ever seen a grown man naked which is what peter graves was willing to ask in place of the original line you ever seen a grown man's cock <laughs> that was the first draft of that joke i'm glad they went with that one yeah i think so too and in th- that line too like you can see on graves's face that he's he's worried about even saying that line apparently he was terrified completely of taking on the role of this pedophilic pilot but when he showed the script to other family members, they were like, No, you have to do this. This is a parody of you and it would be really funny and no one's gonna think you're a weirdo because you're playing a weirdo. But I guess it worked out well enough for him because he agreed to be in the sequel, so he must not have had too many hard feelings about it.
1: And in the sequel they made a they made a more of a mission impossible kind of reference yeah. for him than than they did with this i mean airplane 2 is just full of like it's Lynn shatner so i'll make a bunch of star trek jokes and yeah it's peter graves we'll so make a mission impossible joke you know they don't do that with this they don't go down to that level
2: i the only time that they do i think is with kareem abdul jabbar which they kind of do right here when joey recognizes him and he's like no 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 i'm roger murdoch i'm a i'm a pilot and he insists that the kid is confused until the kid starts talking about how his dad thinks Kareem isn't a great player and he's not trying unless it's the playoffs. And then suddenly Kareem like grabs him by his collar and yanks him toward him. Listen kid, I've been
0: hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton in the near up and down the court for 48 minutes.
2: And the kid's like freaked out about it and then over interrupts again with, You like movies about
0: gladiators?
2: Suddenly, Ted has a window seat again, and he's promising Elaine that he can fix things. She's sitting next to him now, and uh, she's remembering the good times. There's a very uh, interesting, you barely even notice it, spliced in joke here. In the original movie, she says, Firstly,
0: I remember the nights when we were together. I remember how you used to hold me. And then afterwards, how we watch until the sun finally came
2: but here they changed it just a little so it says
3: mostly i remember the nights when we were together i remember how you used to hold me how i used to sit on your face and wriggle and afterwards how we'd watch until the sun came
2: <laughs> i just like like imagining the actors from the original film watching this movie <laughs> and being like what the hell <laughs> ted has another flashback of his wartime experience This time, he's in the hospital in the aftermath of the the failed attack. Elaine is sitting with him, and she lets him know that he's been cleared of all the blame. Ted says that due to his mistake, six men didn't return from that raid, and she corrects.
0: Seven Lieutenant Zip died this morning.
2: (laughs) Spit takes all over her. Ted is painting a portrait of a soldier with a leg, for some reason, behind his head, carrying a baby away from an exploding jeep. Ted grants the model a five-minute break, and we see behind the easel that there's an actual soldier with a baby and his leg is behind his head and there's a big painting of an exploding jeep behind him one of the veterans in the same wing as ted believes he's still in the war and he's shouting at all of his nurses and still another thinks that he is actually ethel merman this character is of course played by ethel merman in the scene and this was ethel merman's last appearance in film a flight attendant offers coffee to passengers and a husband named jim asks for a second cup we hear his wife's internal monologue wonder
0: Jim never has a second cup of coffee at home
2: this is a reference to a popular u ban commercial at the time which unbeknownst to zaz until after production actually starred the same actress from this scene No. she didn't bring it up in the audition process because she was worried she would lose the part for being the actual person <laughs> instead of a parody of the person
3: can she get in trouble for that can they get in trouble for that i
2: don't know but she didn't say anything until it was in theater so I mean,
3: didn't they just go through this with the um peloton thing
2: oh i don't know about the peloton thing
1: oh because the girl was in the uh ryan reynolds commercial yeah the girl that
3: was in the original commercial did a a parody with ryan reynolds
2: oh i never even saw the commercials i heard about it flight attendant randy tells a nun with a guitar about a sick girl on the flight but instead of asking the nun to perform she asks just to borrow her guitar so that she can sing a song herself on her way to the front of the plane randy bonks the heads of all the aisle seat passengers with the guitar this is funny because the actress playing the nun here is uh, maureen mccormick who sings like the theme songs for a bunch of disaster movies like the poseidon adventure and towering inferno but she's not asked to sing the song here randy sings the song for the sick girl and as she's uh, wildly swinging the guitar around she keeps unplugging the girl's iv with the neck of the guitar and the girl's like sucking her face in like a fish when she doesn't have whatever medicine she's supposed to be getting and eventually her mother notices or caretaker or mother i'm not sure who this woman is Um, and keeps trying to get the IV back in for her Stryker is back in an aisle seat and now he's sitting next to james hong who is credited here as a japanese general he's telling hong the story about how he taught an african tribe to play basketball there's not much to this scene it's just him pretending to teach a tribe to play basketball and then they're all immediately way better at basketball than he is he says this is about the time that he developed his drinking problem and then he brings a glass to his face and just pours it all over his face because it's not an alcohol type drinking problem we cut back to the present where james hong is committing seppuku in the plane just slicing open his belly suddenly another passenger is feeling very ill elaine notifies the captain and he suggests that they look for a doctor on board before turning to joey and asking
0: joey have you ever been in a in a turkish prison
2: which I don't know how many children have been in Turkish prisons, but apparently in Turkey this line is changed to Greek prison, which I, I guess makes sense. Um, does it. I mean, you don't want to specifically insult the the prisons of the country in that no, version. well
3: I guess uh, it makes sense that they would change it, but I don't, I don't know. Greek I don't know if a Greek prisons prison are works as well. Bad. Yeah,
2: Costa will have to let us know. I'm sure he's been to prison a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, Costa. You're great.
1: It's probably a running gag between Greece and Turkey where they just keep shitting on each other. <laughs> they just <laughs> hate
2: each other. Kosti, you'll have to fill us in if that's the case. The two coffee husband starts vomiting uncontrollably and his wife wonders,
0: oh, Jim never vomits at home.
2: <gasps> <laughs> Instead of being like, oh, this is a problem elaine apologizes for waking leslie nielsen's character to ask if he's a doctor but in the reverse angle we see that he's literally wearing a stethoscope while he sleeps which would make it really hard to sleep i would think because you hear everything in the plane he sees to the sick woman And she immediately spits out multiple eggs into his hand in like a uh, 101 magic class style trick. He cracks the last egg on her coffee cup and a bird flies out and just (laughs) flutters around in the plane. uh, Which I was not expecting and it's a very funny joke. He tells Elaine to notify the pilot immediately. Victor in the cockpit also collapses. Uh, While the doctor is speaking with Over, Roger Murdoch collapses. And the doctor determines here that everyone who got sick chose fish for dinner there were two choices for dinner steak and fish and the doctor remembers yes yes i remember i had lasagna elaine and the doctor speak about the symptoms of this fish virus and over is experiencing each symptom as they mention it behind him
0: from there the poison goes to work on the central nervous system causing severe muscle spasms followed by the inevitable grueling At this point, the entire digestive system collapses, accompanied by uncontrollable flatulence, until finally the poor bastard is reduced to a quivering, wasted piece of jelly.
2: Eventually, he collapses in a sweating, drooling, farting pile uh, at the controls of the plane. (laughs) Elaine engages the autopilot and radios Lloyd Bridges as McCluskey at the Traffic Control Dispatch Office we introduce a zany character in the office named Johnny who steals every scene moving forward. <laughs> he's just wonderful.
1: His whole like demeanor and voice remind me so much of John Ritter.
2: <laughs> sure, uh, yeah.
1: Like I could, I could I could just close my eyes and see John Ritter doing all of those same movements.
2: Yeah, he would he would work totally fine in this part. Lloyd asks, "Hey, some coffee, Johnny?" and Johnny's like, "No thanks." <laughs> because he's not trying to help anybody mccluskey says that he needs a man who won't crack under pressure and then johnny runs by in the background and suggests mr rogers which was actually a dubbed line to cover what about Mamie eisenhower who that was the original joke but she had passed away shortly after the scene was shot so they try to fit a different celebrity's name who fit those those mouth shapes and they landed on mr rogers mccluskey has elaine read him some of the dials on the dash and then suddenly the autopilot is deflating and the plane is going into a, a dive. Uh, she's instructed to reinflate it by blowing into a hose in its lap. The doctor walks in to see this, and is uh, he turns around to give them their privacy. When the plane is righted again, the doctor asks Elaine if she knows anyone on board who can fly the plane.
1: I, I like the line that he asks her before. I always repeat Julie Haggerty's part of this line, when he says, Elaine, you're a member of this crew.
0: Can you face some unpleasant facts? And she goes, no <laughs> and then he just keeps going
1: she's so upset by the prospect of even thinking about it <laughs> yeah I, I do that all the time with like my niece and she goes can i ask you a question i go no <laughs> I <get like> upset. <laughs> please
2: don't we cut to striker sitting next to yet another new passenger and he's dumping water across his face because of his drinking problem and then we're back to the cockpit for Elaine to say no
3: no one i know
2: well the doctor explains i think
3: you ought
0: to know what our chances
2: are The life of everyone on board depends upon just one thing.
0: Finding someone back there who can not only fly this plane, but who didn't have fish for dinner.
2: We get a shot of Elaine announcing something to distract the passengers as pilots are being dragged unconscious down the aisle. She ends with... By
3: the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane?
2: And a riot breaks out, and madness ensues. Suddenly, a topless woman is jumping in front of the camera. We cut back to traffic control, where someone is getting to rex kramer's home to pick him up and when he gets inside kramer's dog is like attacking this kid while kramer's wife is waiting at the bottom of the stairs with him kramer's just putting on his uniform in front of a mirror in the entry hall and then after he gets himself all straightened up he steps out of the mirror through into the (laughs) living room because uh we just have this weird optical illusion trick.
3: Yeah, you actually backed this up for me
1: because I didn't even notice it. Happen. Yeah, it's
2: it's pretty subtle, actually. I love the
1: implication that his wife is just staring away at nothing. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> she's just
2: watching her dog attack this guy.
1: Not even because that's behind him.
2: That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. What is she looking at? Um, that's funny. Stryker is sitting next to yet another passenger who is dousing himself in gasoline to escape Ted's stories. Randy comes to bring Ted to the cockpit and the passenger who was about to kill himself holds the match above the puddle of gas in his lap waiting to see if ted will finally leave and when he does the passenger blows the match out and drops it in his lap which still causes the explosion for some reason the whole plane doesn't go down though
3: that's why you always like run the matches underwater before you throw it in the trash can yeah why didn't cam? he do that because it still light up again
2: in the cockpit the doctor asks Stryker, can you fly this plane and land it and he says the immortal line surely you can't be serious To which Dr. Rumick replies, I am
0: serious, and don't call me Shirley.
2: Which I think was the AFI nominated it like in the top 100 movie lines of all time. After being informed that he is the only chance they've got, Stryker takes the captain's seat. We pan across an impossibly long instrument panel, and then we get a quick insert of the taxi passenger whose fare back at LAX is ticking over into the $113 range, despite the taxi not having moved yet.
3: It's only $113? I think
2: that's what it said. Stryker accidentally flips a switch that sends the plane into a tailspin. And after he corrects it, the woman from the U-Band commercial starts to lose her shit. To keep her calm, a line of passengers takes turns slapping her. And second in line here is the doctor, who Leslie Nielsen actually slapped her by accident. But uh, they just kept the the thing moving. Apparently it was her idea to have the passengers all line up to want to slap her. Because it was supposed to end after the doctor slapped her like a passenger did it to be impatient and then the doctor's like no 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 calm down then he does it too which is less professional but then she's like what if everyone does it and so it was her idea to have all these people lined up in the line though of passengers people are armed with like tire irons and guns like everybody after the gun person i feel like you don't have to slap this woman anymore she's (laughs) she's gone rex kramer beats up a crowd of religious folk on his way into the airport. Robert Stack was 61 here doing his own stunts, jumping around people and throwing flying kicks. It's pretty cool looking, and you could tell it's him doing the whole thing, too.
3: What is he known for up until this point?
2: He, he did a lot of, like, serious television shows. For me, it was always Unsolved Mysteries.
3: Well, yeah, but that wasn't out yet.
2: Yeah, that was post-1980. Because
1: that's all I know him from. And, and even 1941, in which he still he kind of played almost this similar kind of character to this character.
2: That's true. And that was, like, the year before, or
1: uh it had to be it's
2: like 78 or 79 right before but yeah again like the other people here mostly mostly serious characters at the time someone on a phone in the traffic control office complains he's a menace to everything in the air yes birds too
1: what i think is going on in that scene when he says he's a, he's a menace to everyone up in the air yeah birds too and as it pans over to McCroskey, he's on the phone too it's like i know he's a risk but he's the only chance we got oh they're talking to each other <laughs> I, yeah i think the implication is that they're talking to each other <laughs> that's oh, funny that's funny. i didn't get that joke well i don't i don't know if that's a yeah joke. that's always how i've looked at it yeah
2: while kramer is filling in mccluskey on his history with Stryker, a spear for no reason hits a map on the wall behind them <laughs> i was sure i missed something here but it seems like there's not actually a joke. It was just supposed to be funny enough that a spear hit the wall. And it's followed by another joke where, as McCluskey is talking about guiding the plane all the way to the ground, a watermelon just falls out of the ceiling and explodes in the background. I've, I've read in interviews that ZIZ have expressed disappointment at the lack of audience reaction to either of these gags at every screening they've ever been to but I'm not sure they even count as gags because they're not. there's not a joke to it. It's just a weird thing that's happening.
1: It's not like when the shit hits the fan
2: yeah. later. The rest of them are relevant to the dialogue at least or something. These two things just stand out as like they didn't really make any sense and they thought it was just funny that it was weird. Robert Stack gets maybe my favorite line of the entire movie when he sits down to speak with Stryker on the radio. He says, Our one hope is to build this man up. I'm going to give him all the confidence I can. Stryker, have you ever flown a multi-engine plane before? And then Stryker says, no, never. And he says, shit, this is a goddamn waste of time.
0: So There's no way you can land this plane.
2: <laughs> but like the way, the how quickly he turns in his delivery, it just kills me. He's just so funny. Just like, oh, shit, this is a goddamn wa-. And he doesn't take his hand off of the button, so all of this is getting broadcast into the cockpit, and you have just Julie Haggerty and Robert Hayes are just standing there like, uh we're not supposed to hear this part (laughs) like it's really uncomfortable
1: and he says just to route route the plane into lake michigan so it doesn't kill anybody else (laughs) yeah
2: he he doesn't seem to realize or care that he is still talking to them but he yeah he he suggests just crashing into lake michigan to avoid killing any innocent people forgetting that there are hundreds of innocent people on this plane but uh, the air traffic people call the home of captain over's wife to let her know that her husband's flight is having some trouble and she might want to get to the airport as quick as she can she rolls over to tell the horse that she's in bed with that he can let himself out Um, But can he yeah So, so
1: this is an interesting point because i don't understand the reason to introduce this character at all
2: it's in zero hour I, d- I don't know why either because you never see them reunite but you don't they don't do yeah. it in the other movie either but so. it's a
3: great opportunity to have a horse in the yeah with her. yeah
2: i think the premise of this entire movie was basically an mst3k episode if they just shot it and put in all their joke dialogue because they were clearly just watching that scene and they were like wouldn't it be funny if there was a guy in bed with her and they're like what's even funnier than that a horse in bed with her and then for no reason they're just like that's it that's the whole scene doesn't need to be anything else i also like that she tells him that there's a juice in the fridge like the like the first of all that the horse wants juice specifically and that it's in the fridge as if the horse can get to it there but yeah it's great mccluskey and kramer don't understand why they don't have sight of the plane yet they call into the tower to check the radar range but at the time radar range was a very popular model of microwave so the air traffic controller stands and opens a microwave above all their instruments with a full turkey inside and he says
0: it's about two more minutes chief
2: (laughs) after having separately lamented that he picked the wrong week to quit smoking and drinking uh, mccluskey now regrets his choice of this week to quit using amphetamines
0: looks like i picked the wrong week to quit
2: amphetamines the press swarms the office and mccluskey hands over questions to johnny which kills them pretty quickly because the press is like what kind of plane was it and he's like oh it's a
1: big pretty white plane with red stripes and curtains in the window and wheels and it looks like a big tylenol
2: and then the reporters say all right boys let's get some pictures and they just start snatching all the framed pictures off the walls of the office before they leave and that's that's the end of the press participation of this film a series of newspaper front pages swirl toward camera and we end with a national Enquirer with the headline, Boy Trapped in Refrigerator Eats Own Foot. The pictured boy is the grandson of producer Howard Koch, who had no idea why his grandfather requested copies of his school photo until he (laughs) saw the movie. (laughs) A montage of news reports of the situation ends with a show called Counterpoint, wherein the host suggests that these passengers knew what they were getting into.
0: I say, let them crash. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, so this is getting back to the, um, the gong show movie. Right where this this actor appears in the gong show movie and all he does is wink at chuck barris (laughs) and i was like that looks like the guy from counterpoint in airplane (laughs) and i think i brought i hopefully i think i brought that up i'm
2: pretty sure you did
1: yeah and uh, (laughs) it's like the it's like the only thing i've ever seen him in is this movie at this scene
2: apparently he's also in airplane too uh it's a different part it's not another episode of counterpoint but Mm. randy breaks down in the galley with the doctor and she says that she's 26 and she's not married yet this is when the coffee lady enters to ask when they might be landing and then she says she's never been so scared but at least she has a husband i think there's there's two layers to this joke the first one (laughs) is that obviously this 26 isn't that old to not have a husband yet i think even in 1980 but i think the other part of the joke is that the fact that she has a husband really isn't helping at all because <laughs> they're just gonna die in this plane
3: not being married is worse than dying in a plane crash
2: yeah in the cockpit striker has more flashbacks of his wartime accident uh, this time we're getting stock footage of just random aviation disasters superimposed over his face uh including like early wright brothers <laughs> nonsense we have a ma- man-powered flying machines like a man just covered in like wing parts flight suits bike planes a plane with 12 stacked sets of wings, and then that weird bouncy umbrella car that we've all seen. (laughs) I was waiting for the one where it's like a spiraling propeller of fabric, you know, but uh, that one wasn't in this lineup. Suddenly, Ted blows an engine because he hasn't been keeping an eye on oil pressure uh, because he's distracted by stock footage, and Stryker puts Otto back in the pilot seat, and he says, I'm done. I'm obviously not, you know, up to this challenge, he goes outside and he pouts in the rest of the plane and then the doctor walks up to him and he says look you don't have to tell me anything i already know i screwed up and he says no 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 you you did what you could and that's all we could ask of you you know uh, I, I remember i was treating a pilot who was dying and he talked about the the order that led to his death and he said that it was the right move and that man's name was george Zip." and hear strikers realizing like oh you know even people whose death i caused agreed with me that what i did was the right thing and i i should be able to trust myself better and then the doc paraphrases a monologue from the 1940 ronald reagan film all american possibly the film that a passenger earlier was complaining about being nauseated by sometime
0: the crew is up against it the brakes are beating the boys tell them to get out there and give it all they've got
2: and win just one for the zipper. And then Ted Stryker gets up and he goes back into the cockpit. He's decided he's he's man enough to land this plane. The passengers outside are all preparing for the landing. They're enjoying their in-flight movie about a plane crashing on a dirt runway and exploding in flames. Back in the air traffic control, Kramer tells Over's wife that it doesn't look good and then johnny comes up and tells her that she doesn't look good either he's like where did you get that dress it's awful in those shoes yuck and he just walks away and she's just sobbing there alone the plane is coming in very low over chicago and actually clips the radio tower of wzaz which is clearly a reference to zucker abrams and zucker and it's cutting off a disco station broadcast Kramer recommends that Ted stay in the air for two more hours because they have a lot of fuel left and there's a lot of fog that just blew in over the airport. Stryker says that the doctor told him that the sicker passengers won't survive more than an hour, and so he's bringing it in now. McCluskey says that they're going to turn the lights on soon. <laughs> and then one of the air traffic controllers says, Wouldn't it make more sense to just turn them on now? And then Kramer says,
0: That's just what they'll be expecting us <laughs> to
2: Dr. Rumack tells ellen and ted i
0: just want to tell you both good luck we're all counting on
2: you mccluskey ends the series of substance abuse quotes with uh the bit from our opening montage like I picked the wrong week. Quit sniffing as the plane is descending very quickly an air traffic controller is shouting his altitude as it's plummeting but then it's like going up and down and he's all over the place a few screens down One of the other controllers opens his monitor and dumps in a load of laundry because it looks like a washing machine from the front. The air traffic controller that we're sitting with says,
0: He's all over the place. 900 feet up to 1,300 feet? What an
2: asshole. (laughs) (laughs) The lights on the runway go dark for a second and we think it's an emergency until Johnny reveals it was a hilarious prank and he plugs them back in. McCluskey in a glue fueled haze screams he's coming right at us and dives out of the tower window <laughs> plummeting to a certain death as the plane skids down the runway the pa keeps correcting which terminal the plane will be pulling up to and passengers are racing through the airport as if this plane was going to board anybody after everyone gets off here the plane eventually comes to a stop and everyone's able to get off safely we see ted and elaine kiss on the tarmac And then suddenly they look over and Otto is waving to them from the cockpit. He takes this fucked up plane right back into the sky and a female co-pilot inflates next to him and they just fly off into the night. And that's the end of the film. The writers and directors were Jim Abrams, David Zucker, and Jerry Zucker. I said before, the, the Zuckers were the ones directing the traffic on the tarmac. Jim Abrams plays one of the religious zealots that's trying to sell Robert Stack religion on his way in. Together, they wrote Kentucky Fried Movie, and they wrote and directed Airplane, Naked Gun, Police Squad, Top Secret, Hot Shots, Mafia, Scary Movie 4, which I guess I owe a rewatch because I didn't realize that they came back to just do that one.
3: I've never heard of Mafia.
2: Uh, it's okay. It's It was yeah, like Jay Moore yeah. and Lloyd Bridges. and I mean, a lot of their regular people. It's obviously not, not on the same level with the rest of them, but... Uh, our composer here was Elmer Bernstein who oh, did the little. Hold love on, theme. you
1: gotta you gotta cover some of uh Jerry Zucker's other films.
2: Oh, okay. What else do we have? Ghost. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So he did stuff without the other two?
1: Yeah, yeah. He did Ghost and he did uh, Ruthless People.
2: See, I thought I was covering them all by just covering like David Zucker because the three of them worked together. Right, so right.
1: I... Uh but uh yeah, Ghost is a uh, not a comedy.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's very interesting. I didn't realize that was him. I met Jim Abrams and David Zucker at a screening of, I think it was Top Secret and a Bananas double feature at the New Beverly. So I'll I'll put a picture with them on the uh, on the Instagram. But they were really cool. But Jerry wasn't there. I don't know if if they all live out here or what the what the deal is.
1: Well, I wanted to say something too earlier about the uh, three directors. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of curious if you can get special permission to do that because uh, I was fairly certain, and I looked it up to verify. But Cloud Atlas has three directors. It doesn't say it's not the Wachowskis as a single credit. It has each individual Wachowski and then uh, Tom Tickfer.
2: Oh, interesting. Well, because I was also thinking of um, the 67 Casino Royale has four directors. But that one was like, I don't know if it was the each of the directors did different segments of it or if it was like they were directing at different periods of time and got kicked off of it. Because I know John Huston yeah. was one of the four. But yeah, it's a... It's a it's weird. It's weird how that stuff works. The composer here was Elmer Bernstein, who basically he just composed the the love theme of Airplane. We had him earlier this year for Saturn 3 Blues Brothers, and we'll have him later for Ghostbusters 3 Amigos Bulletproof, uh etc. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was Roger Murdock or also probably Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think he's technically playing himself here in disguise as Roger <laughs> Murdock. But he also plays himself in Fletch, Forget Paris, and Basketball. He was an NBA player with the Milwaukee Bucks and the L.A. Lakers. Lloyd Bridges was Steve McCroskey. His uh, acting credits date back to the mid-30s. He was in High Noon. He was Mike Nelson in 155 episodes of Sea Hunt.
1: Yeah, Sea Hunt is the, the, the big one. That's... Yeah,
2: and I, I think I always think of hot shots when I think of him. Even before Airplane, I think of hot shots for him. And obviously, he's, he's, uh, we said before, he's also in Mafia.
1: And he's the father of some very interesting people. Lloyd
2: Bridges is? You're kidding.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, no, uh, <laughs> Lloyd Bridges is the father of at least Bo and Jeff um, and the grandfather of our friend Dylan, who we went to school with, so that's fun. Peter Graves was Captain Clarence Over. He was on the Mission Impossible series. He's in Stalag 17 or Stalag. I don't know where the emphasis goes there. Stalag? <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, yeah, Stalag 17. Put the emphasis is on the wrong syllable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He's also in the classic film *Parts the Clonus Horror*. By
1: the way, if you haven't seen *Stalag 17, it is fantastic.
2: I don't know that I have, so maybe that's uh, it's good a, for it's, a watch. It's a
1: Billy Wilder film.
2: Oh, okay. I like I like pretty much every Billy Wilder film I've yeah. seen.
1: it's it, it's a stage play that was converted into a film, and it's it's really really great. Okay, cool. Uh, do you watch *Community* at all? On and off. One of my favorite things about that is that uh, there's a really old man at the community, like going to school. His name's Leonard. Yeah and he was one of the actors in stalag 17 oh really It's just funny like he's been like acting for so long that's funny anyway weird side story anyway go on
2: that was like uh i remember in college one night someone was like oh we should watch run silent run deep and it's like this clark gable submarine movie but in the background of like one scene i was like that guy looks like don rickles but there's no way he was that old when clark gable was the lead character of movies (laughs) it's like no that was don rickles he was just around forever yeah but, uh, but Peter Graves is also in a movie called High Seas Hijack that appears to predate North Sea Hijack, a.k.a. <laughs> Folks, by three years. And I'm not even sure that it's not, like, inspired by the same story, but it, it looks like it might be a Japanese film, but Peter Graves plays part of an American team in the film. I'm interested to see that now because the plot was very familiar to Folks. Julie Haggerty was Elaine Dickinson here. She obviously, she's an Airplane too. She was just in a marriage story she was freddie's mother and freddie got fingered she was carol pewter on family guy which i believe is lois's younger sister this was her first acting credit is um,
3: she the one i i always go to uh is she the wife from what about bob yes yeah yeah that's the one that i always go to for her
2: for me it's always freddie got fingered because i actually really like that movie and it's funny because uh she has worked with two lakers because you have kareem in uh, this movie and in that movie she divorces or separates from rip torn and starts dating shaquille o'neal <laughs> but it's great robert hayes was ted striker he'll be back for airplane 2 also and he plays the dad in homeward bound and i said before he was in sharknado 2 but surprisingly little work from robert hayes because i think he does a phenomenal job in this film
1: yeah i i always go for him um, other than airplane uh i always go to cat's eye the stephen king anthology film right
2: i still need to see that one yes you do leslie nielsen here was dr rumack he was on forbidden planet he's frank drebin in the naked gun movies a lot of non-zucker comedies that are less terrific like 2001 a space travesty he was also Mr. Magoo in the feature film version of that character. Did you
3: actually see that movie?
2: Uh, Mr. Magoo? Yeah. I for sure did. I couldn't tell you one thing that happened to <laughs> that. But I was working at Blockbuster when it came out, so I am I guarantee you I rented it the day it, it came out on video. He also plays Colonel Chi in Surf Ninjas, which is the only time I can remember him playing the bad guy in anything. And he's also Dracula in uh, Mel Brooks's Dracula Dead and Loving It.
1: <laughs> which, which I feel still is a very underrated film.
2: Yeah. We have uh, Lorna Patterson was Randy. She also comes back for the second film, and she played Private Benjamin on the TV series adaptation of that film. We have Private Benjamin this year too, right? We do. That's correct. Robert Stack was Captain Rex Kramer. I said before I know him, best from Unsolved Mysteries. He was also the narrator for the Hercules animated series. Yeah, he was. Um, He's also in Basketball because they do a whole Unsolved Mysteries (laughs) bit in Basketball. But he, before that, I guess, was mostly known for Falcon Crest. But he's also Ultra Magnus in the Transformers movie. He was an ATF agent in Beavis and Butthead do America. So he's, like, constantly trying to track them down. But he's just got an amazing voice. Steven Stucker was Johnny Henshaw Jacobs. That's the crazy guy at the air traffic office. He is also back for two as a different character. Apparently he improvised all of his lines. That seems crazy to me because they're so great. Uh, if he did kudos kudos to that guy frank ashmore was victor basta in the cockpit um, he's also back for two as a different character he's not in mafia but he was in mafia two and three
3: <laughs> which was it two and three
2: which are not related to the movie mafia oh. <laughs> uh, he was in two video games that were also <laughs> called mafia but he was only in the second and third installments uh jonathan banks was gunderson unrecognizable with yeah. hair but you probably know him from Gremlins, or as Mike Trout on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and he too was on Community as a regular character.
3: I didn't yeah, notice him in this movie.
2: He's the guy who says about two more minutes, Chief, that huh. opens up the microwave, and he's also the guy who says 900 feet, 1300 feet. What an I, asshole! I
3: feel like I have to go back and look this up. I it's, did not recognize. It's great. Him.
2: I'll pull it up for you. Barbara Billingsley was the Jive Lady, the woman who spoke Jive on the plane we didn't really talk about that bit because i don't think it translates very well to just describing in summary she was june cleaver on leave it to beaver and she's also the voice of nanny on the muppet babies and i think this role was offered to someone else first i forget now they turned it down thinking that they, they didn't really understand the movie and then uh, regretted it because barbara billingsley rocked it uh, james hong the japanese general here he's obviously low pan and big trouble in little china is mr Ping in the kung fu panda movies he plays Hannibal Chu in Blade Runner, and he's Cassandra's dad in Wayne's World too.
3: And can I just say, he's just the most wonderful man you'll ever meet.
2: He's just the sweet old guy that wants to talk to everybody. He just
3: wanders the halls of DreamWorks just randomly. He'll pop into your office, and this happens. He happened. just, like, wanders in to yeah. look at your stuff, like, like, what oh, do you have here? look, you know, and he's like, this is cool, and he just plays with the toys that are on your desk. He's just wonderful.
2: <laughs> he's great. Um, Maureen McGovern, I said before, was the nun. She sings uh, the theme song there's got to be a morning after from the poseidon adventure and we men never love like this again for towering inferno she also performed we could have it all from the last married couple soundtrack earlier this year and she'll come back for a song called halfway home in the earthling later in 1984. us she's also the voice of rachel in joseph king of dreams if anyone remembers that movie <laughs> back from when dreamworks just made 2d animated movies about the bible <laughs> Um, for some reason <laughs> ethel merman was uh lieutenant herwitz <laughs> that's a that's a fun sentence <laughs> um she is a film actress and broadway performer she originated the role of gypsy on broadway
1: i love her in it's a mad 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 world yes as uh, Mil- milton Burrow's mother-in-law yeah
2: she's great and uh so we have michelle stacy was the young girl with the coffee who likes it black like her men she played mary Two in logan's run but she's also the voice of penny from the rescuers which I could actually hear it when I was watching the movie again after I listened to it. Robert Starr was Religious Zealot number five. He plays an underling in Last Starfighter. And he was Rex Kramer in Kentucky Fried Movie, because apparently they reused a bunch of character names from Kentucky Fried Movie for this movie. Although a lot of the names like Ted Stryker are from Zero Hour. Kenneth Toby played air traffic controller Newbauer. He plays Patrick Hendry in the original The Thing as in the thing from another world and he reprised the role of patrick henry 54 years later for a 2005 film called the naked monster i'm not sure the story there but he also plays the man in the restroom in inner space which i think is when the guy's in the bathroom talking to himself at the urinal and the other guy's confused about it play with it pal don't talk to it jimmy walker played the windshield wiper man jimmy walker was obviously jj on good times He also made an appearance in the Concord, the Airport 79 film, and he was Grandpa Gene in Everybody Hates Chris, uh, which I never actually watched, but uh, I like the entire cast of that show, so I really should check it out. Al White was the second Jive Talking Dude. He was one of the singers outside the radio station in Hollywood Nights. He played a sergeant in the MacGyver pilot. He's in Back to the Future Part 2. He plays a dad, which I think is the dad at the house that Marty accidentally goes into. And he also plays a desk sergeant in Leprechaun 2. There's a woman named Kitten Natividad, who is credited as the bouncy, topless woman on the plane. She plays a character named Betty Big Ones in Taking It Off and Takin' It All Off. She started working in Hollywood as a maid for fellow nude model and actress Stella Stevens, who we just had in The Ballad of Cable Hogue. Yeah, yeah she would go on to win miss nude universe two years in a row but according to the imdb trivia she says that she wasn't the nude woman she was the woman holding jello and jiggling next to the jello she was not the woman whose boobs are featured in the film so i don't know who to believe the internet's a lie david leisure was one of the uh krishna guys but i i think i know him from airplane and that's it
3: is it familiar? I don't know. cause I looks, went through his whole
2: list and I was like, I, this guy is so familiar, but I don't recognize anything else that he's done. I
3: agreed. He's crazy familiar to me, but I couldn't put my finger on what in particular he reminded me of.
2: I think he just reminds me of someone else.
3: Maybe. I don't know. He was a lot in a lot of episodes of Empty Nest, it looks like.
2: I've never seen frame one of that show. But I was wondering if maybe I, was, I confuse him with Fred Willard or somebody. He,
3: he does remind me a lot of Fred Willard, but... He still, he looked super familiar, and I don't know why.
2: I mean, no offense, Mr. Leisure. I know you're listening. <laughs> and I do like you, and I definitely recognize you from stuff, but there there wasn't anything huge that I knew you from.
3: I'm sure there's just something on this list that I've seen a million times, and it's just That's like probably the same thing. for me,
2: but uh, I think it's Airplane.
3: Maybe. But he doesn't have hair, and I'm thinking about him in something when he has hair. Yeah. Because he's got a shaved head in this. I don't know.
2: He's in Airplane 2.
3: Yeah, maybe maybe that's it. I've seen Airplane 2 so many times. Like uh, all of zero times. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, so uh, editor's note here. David Leisure, I apologize. I figured out what I know you from. You're Joe Isuzu from the commercials. Oh.
1: <laughs> oh. That's yeah.
2: 100% what it is. <laughs> I, it just occurred to me when I was listening to QC the episode and I was like, it's not a that movie is 100% what he is from and then yeah. i googled it and i was like i should have just checked this wikipedia page because it's all over it yeah. but yeah he's joe isuzu from the commercials where the joke was that he would just say completely outlandish things that the car could not do and <laughs> that was the commercial for the isuzu it was just like no it can't do that like in subtitles it would contradict him and yeah keep it legal yeah i remember but those commercials good stuff um uh, yeah i love this movie i think this movie has always been funny to me i actually think it loses a little bit of its magic when you find zero hour and you see like how little work they really needed to do but i think nobody made movies like this before them uh in terms of the just the execution of all these background jokes and like the density of the comedy like this movie is 90 minutes long and it has probably a hundred quotes that people say constantly
3: yeah i i mean i said before that i don't think that i've seen this movie in 20 years and i didn't appreciate it when i saw it 20 years ago and i'm just like i never watched it again because of that but now that i've sat down and watched it again i'm like this movie is hilarious yeah i really liked it
1: which is really interesting to me that you guys like this movie so much and yet you do not like the Blues Brothers. This is
2: way, are, way funnier than the Blues there Brothers. There are
1: jokes in this movie, though.
2: <laughs> the Blues Brothers is a, is a character piece. It's, there's not jokes in me, it. To
1: me, the comedy is obviously very different. But they're to me they're both classics, uh, and it's just it's, I just thought it was like because I love both of these movies.
2: I'm fully willing to admit that Blues Brothers is a classic. I just disagree. That it's funny i think a lot of people like it a lot but it's it's not as funny i, I mean i think you're 30 minutes into blues brothers before the first like technical joke happens i
3: also feel like this movie was is non-stop it is just dense with really amusing things that are happening you know jokes visual gags all of it and that just doesn't happen in blues brothers there's a lot of just nothing that movie's really long
2: <laughs> but that's also i mean like that was the case with most movies by then though because i think almost no movies are as densely comedic as airplane or any given zucker abram zucker movie you look at top secret or any of the hot shots movies like it's just nonstop because every single scene has to have as many jokes as they could fit in it before they cut to the next scene it's just surprising that they're as funny as they are the whole time because usually when someone's like, oh, I just care about jokes for a minute, then they're all crappy jokes. But yeah, I, I, I don't feel like it uh, stands up to Blues Brothers.
1: All right, up or down, Patrick?
2: It's an up for me.
1: Richard? Oh, it's definitely an up. Of course it's an up.
2: It's an up. We got three ups yeah. on this one. What do we think letterbox-wise, Jess?
3: Uh, It's pretty high for me. Uh, I'm going to put it in... Eighth place right now for me for the year, which is uh below the island, but above night of the juggler, which for me was unusually high.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh Richard, what are we looking at letterboxed wise?
1: Uh yeah, I'm really I'm really struggling for this. I but too. I think I too will put it just below the island, <laughs> which is above where the buffalo roam.
2: Okay. I think uh for me, hmm. It's hard. Uh I think it goes right under the island uh, <laughs> and above the changeling for me.
3: I think we all agree the island is slightly better than the airplane.
2: Well, I think I think what happened was that I had zero expectations for the island, so now in my head it's like a miracle. <laughs> and so I, I can't put this above it, but it's I really like the airplane and honestly when we started this year I was sure airplane was going to be the top of my list but rewatching it and 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 watching for the first time from beginning to end zero hour like in a big part of it gets wiped out in my head where i'm just like oh so you just took a movie that exists and you plugged some jokes into it and it's like still there's a lot more to it than that and they're all good jokes but it seems less like impossibly brilliant to me now (laughs) knowing that the the whole story came from something else But it's still great, and which is why it's in fifth place still on my list for the year. So I think that's where it goes for me.
1: It's in sixth place for me Okay.
3: So I actually had it lower than both of you two. Yeah.
2: But I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com please consider rating us on itunes to help people find the show and if you take the time to leave us a review we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode if you're feeling especially generous you can support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast thank you so much for listening and i hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing alligator which imdb describes like so a baby alligator is flushed down a chicago toilet and survives by eating discarded laboratory rats injected with growth hormones the small reptile grows gigantic escapes the sewers and goes on a rampage that sounds marvelous to me It does sound lovely can't wait we leave you now with the trailer for alligator
0: it lives 50 feet beneath the streets it's 36 feet long It weighs over 2,000 pounds. And it's about to break out. You're looking at the one who saw it. And it was big. You said it was dark. Now, perhaps you were mistaken. An alligator half that size would starve in a week. No! Coming up with some garbage about alligators in the sewers. Alligators in the sewers? Once it escaped, there was no way to stop it. No! No! The safety of the public is my job! It could be anywhere. There he is! Ready to attack at any moment. Now I've seen what this animal can do. You'd better take all the help you can get. First, no one believed it. Now, no one will forget. It. Alligator